Paul says to Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Lord, this morning we open your word. We open your word, Lord, trusting and believing that you are going to speak and have your way. Father, ultimately, that you would rebuke, correct, train us in righteousness. For, Father, we know that you have preserved this word for us for this day. We trust you in that. And so, Father, we ask that you'd prepare our hearts to receive your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in our pursuit for what it is that you have for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen. It's a pretty interesting title as Paul would look to Timothy and say, Oh, man of God. That title is reserved for Old Testament prophets. It's never been used in the New Testament with an exception of Timothy. Pretty interesting. Can you imagine Timothy having the Apostle Paul referred to him, being a student of the Old Testament, referred to him as, oh, man of God. And for you and I, as believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, we too should be curious on this title. That not just a curiosity, but intrigued with, am I a man of God? Am I a woman of God? Because we should desire this title because in the title is pretty interesting. The concept is a combination of man and his weakness, confusion and blindness and failure combined with God, his majesty, his greatness and his power. And in that is the man or woman of God. No greater title can be given to man or a woman. Not all are worthy of such a title. But I don't know about you. I desire that title. Not because of my glory, but because I know, having studied, what it means. And I hope that after this morning that you too will desire such a title. And knowing what it will take. Because one must ask what does a man of God do in a world like ours? Well, Paul, as he looks to Timothy, has an idea of what it looks like. He's got a threefold plan. That is to flee, pursue, and fight. To flee, pursue, and to fight. To flee, to flee the things, to flee, to escape safely out of danger. What danger is Paul talking about specifically in this text? Well, he's referring to verses 3 and through 10. I'm going to read it to you. 
Verse 3 says, if any one teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, rivaling, and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, whom suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and certainly will carry nothing out. Amen? Then verse 8 says, and having food and clothing with this, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul says. So Paul clearly in his threefold plan saying, you man of God, have nothing to do with these things. Have nothing to do with these false doctrines, these false teachings. Have nothing to do with this worldly way or this uh, way of carnality. It's kind of a summary of what he's saying here. Because with false teaching comes what? A proudful man knowing nothing, obsessed with disputes and arguments, envy, strife, evil suspicions, and useless wranglings. Paul is saying have nothing to do with those things. Because that is the world's way of thinking. Create your own standard of good. Add to the word of God or subtract. It doesn't matter. The word of God is not a final say. Do what it takes to get ahead. Put yourself as priority. Greedy for the things of this world. Materialistic things. Paul is saying to Timothy, don't fall into the trap of the world which says, get, get ahead. And friends, it's so easy to do just that. It's so easy to get caught up in materialistic things, especially in this area that we live in. You're like, oh, did you see that car? Did you see what he's driving? Man, I can't believe that she got one of those. I want, I want. It's so easy to get into that place. And yet... Paul wonderfully says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You're not going to take one of those with you. Just as you came in naked, you're leaving naked. What Paul really is doing, he's setting up this really good argument that this is the kingdom of the world and a man of God is to have nothing to do with it. If anything, what he's doing is he's going to make a great argument of what we should be about, and that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. With the worldly idea or ideologies, you get useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Wrangling, I didn't know what that meant, so I looked it up. It's interesting. Internal strife backbiting, squabbling, 
bickering, and power struggle. Wow, what a list. I'm almost positive it struck a chord somewhere with somebody. And it's pretty funny that as Paul is addressing these people almost 2,000 years ago, isn't it very applicable today? Very applicable today. And Paul is pointing out, oh man of God, have nothing to do. Flee from these things. And with this text, I love it because what it does is it sets a, 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 a wonderful and very practical list for us. A very practical list. It's basically a list that we can ask ourselves, is there any part of us that is drifting in that way? Because then we too, wanting, desiring to be a man and a woman of God, need to flee from these things. Makes sense, right? And then we apply the word of God and then bam, we're now in the place where we need to be. And that's exactly what Paul desires of Timothy. Because with a list like this, it's easy to read over and think, yeah, this is very applicable then. Yeah, I can see. You, you miss over it. Why? Because the flesh doesn't want to read into what wrangling means. That it means backbiting and strife and striving for power struggle. The flesh doesn't want to hear that. And that's exactly what we need to do is put the flesh in check. See, we need to take this list serious, especially because what it says in verse 10. Listen, listen very carefully. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness. And it's pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's the case of many Christians today, suffering lots of sorrow because they choose to be conformed to this world instead of being transformed by the renewing of their mind. They choose to put on the weight that so easily ensnares them instead of taking it off. And when it comes to a list like this, uh, you got to know that there's other lists that we can easily apply into our lives. Matter of fact, turn your Bible, if like me, it's one page over, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lover of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, ungodly, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away, Paul says. And listen, brothers and sisters, this list does not just pertain to those outside the body of Christ, though this list should never defined the body of Christ, it easily sneaks into the body of Christ. And that is why Paul is saying to Timothy, flee these things. Have nothing to do with these things. As you read this list, it's like reading the front page of the Los Angeles Times 
We are in perilous times. And unfortunately, as an outsider looking into the church, there's not much difference of this list. That is why this morning, the Heavenly Father in His wisdom would say to us, just as He said to Timothy, flee these things. If you're struggling with strife, if you're struggling with envy, if you're struggling with these things, brothers and sisters, then the application is simple. Flee. Because our Heavenly Father wants what is best for us. He doesn't want harm. He doesn't want sorrow. He doesn't want pain, anxiety, stress, confusion, depression. Those are things of the enemy. And yet they creep into the life of the Christian. Should never be. Anxiety, depression, confusion. No. The Heavenly Father desires peace, hope, love, mercy. That's what should define us. And our, our Heavenly Father knows the dangers of this world. Right? We can trust our Heavenly Father. He knows the dangers of this world. Just as He knew them then, He's the God of yesterday, today, and He'll know the dangers of tomorrow. Oh, we're in good hands with the Heavenly Father. We're in good hands. Everyone knows that a good father will point out harm to their children. As a, as a father, I'm not going to consider myself a good father. I'm just going to consider myself a father. As a father, I point out the dangers to my children. That's bare minimum. I don't want them to fall into danger or harm. And, and just as I point out to my son, just recently, very intrigued with the fireplace. Though we haven't used it maybe three or four times in our whole uh, existence of having it, I know the dangers of it. A, there's bricks, there's ashes in there. You just don't want a kid playing inside a fireplace. Everyone agree? It's not good. Because if he learns the habit, what about when I got the flame in there? He's for sure going to want to go in. So what does a good father do? No, son. Don't play here. But even a... a Here's, here's what even a better father will do, and that is not just to uh, point out the harm, but to lead them to something else. That's what I did. This is a true story. My son is trying to play in the fireplace, so I picked him up, and I'm like, okay. He obviously, he's, he's going like this. You know how they do. He's like wanting to get out, and I'm like, okay, I got to take him somewhere else. I took him in the garage, and I sat him down on the drum throne, and he just started jamming. <laughs> now he can care less about the fireplace. And let me tell you, people, this is wonderful news to both my wife and I, because he'll log in well over an hour a day on the drums. Is this better for him? Yes. That's exactly what the Heavenly Father is doing for you and I. When he points out things that are harmful, he's doing it because he sees danger. But thanks be to God that he's just not a God that says, don't do that. He says, don't do that, but look, do this. Oh, look at this. 
That's what our Heavenly Father does. That's what he's going to do in this specific passage. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, flee those things, but pursue these things. Because in pursuing these things, those things won't matter to you no more. It's that concept that you find in in Galatians, that when you walk in the Spirit of God, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you're consumed with the things of God, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? Oh, that is a concept we need to grasp. Because it's so easy to be that Christian that drifts into the ways of the world. It's so easy. And Paul is saying, man, as a man, as a woman of God, you are not to be involved in those things. Flee those things. Draw away from them and be lifted up towards these things. And that's what the heavenly, that's the heavenly father's move. I was trying to find a word. Like I even called up friends that I know are smart. I'm like, what, what is a word that would define don't do this, but do that? And they're like, they're throwing out words. I don't like those words. Those words aren't doing it for me. So I came up with my own. It's the Heavenly Father's move. And that move is this. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Don't be in bondage to sin. Be free. And here's the beautiful thing is, there's more do's than there are don'ts in the Bible. There are so many do's. And and I hope you're intrigued, like, what is it that God wants to do with me? Because I got to tell you the truth, with my four kids, I've just been longing for them to get to the age where I can grab a hold of them and say, let's do these things to get their mind off of the carnal world. I can't wait to take my nine-year-old daughter on a missions trip to see the hand of God moving. I want her to see and witness because it was so impacting in my life. I can't wait to take her. I can't wait to take my son on adventures that glorify my heavenly father to get his eyes off of the world so that he will never have to live the life that I did in depravity, in danger, in a jail cell. I don't want that for my son. I want to grab a hold of him and say, son, don't do that. But guess what? Let's do this. That's what the Christian life should look like. It's not a bunch of don'ts. If anything, it's a bunch of do's. Do this. And we can trust that our God is going to lead us in the right direction. There will be no uh, gray area. The Spirit of God is not going to lead you to a bar to drink and get drunk. You can know that for certain so that you can be released from it. Say, okay, that's a temptation because I know that's not God. God wouldn't lead me into harmful situations. Amen? The Heavenly Father, he, he wants us to be consumed with Him. He's a just, loving, merciful, kind, powerful, and a jealous God. He's jealous over you and me. 
That blows my mind. That blows my mind. That he's jealous over us. I mean, look at us. <laughs> then you look at his creation, right? You go to Niagara Falls and you're like, wow, God, you made that. But he's not jealous over that. He's jealous over you. He's jealous over you when you are consumed with other things. In Exodus 34, 14, it says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Jealous in a just way. Not jealous in a way that we are jealous. Jealous in a just way. Justly demanding the attention of his people. And when it's not given to him, he's jealous over us. That's why he points out the things that would consume us and take us or put us in that place where we're, we're just so in tune with materialistic things or worried or anxious, all these other things that bring nothing but harm. He's jealous and says, no, be consumed with me. Because Deuteronomy 4.24 says, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a just jealous God. It's a jealous God. What are you doing in your life that is causing God to be jealous? What is it that you need to flee? What is it that you need to pinpoint and say, uh-uh, no more? That is not what a godly man should do. That is not where a godly woman should be. Because God, knowing that when we're seeking him, that when we're consumed with him, that ultimately, as we're seeking he first the kingdom of God, then all these other things will be added unto us. When we're seeking God, harm doesn't come to us. There's going to be trials, yes. But guess what? There's trials whether you're a believer or a non-believer. That's because we live in a fallen world. Paul says to Timothy, Flee those things. Flee those things. And pursue these things. To pursue is to seek after eagerly, earnestly, to endeavor to acquire. To flee is to rid ourselves of the danger, but to pursue is to earnestly acquire, to earnestly pursue what? Righteousness. Now, this is a foundation right now. Listen, tune into this. Because as the Heavenly Father would wonderfully speak to Paul, to speak to Timothy, that ultimately would speak to us, is saying, flee these things and pursue these things. And that first one is foundational, and that is to pursue righteousness. We are to follow after righteousness. Some commentators, as I was reading this, um, kind of led to believe that this is pursuing righteousness as a behavior so that we are to be trying to live a life that is righteous. And that is not wholly wrong because that is what a man and a woman of God should have in their life, and that's righteous behavior. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. 
Paul is referring to righteousness not as a behavior, but as a belief. The belief of the gospel truth, and that is when you confess your sins to Jesus Christ and accepted him as a Lord and Savior, the righteousness of God was imputed to you and to me. Thank you, Lord. Having complete understanding that God sees you cleansed, washed by the blood of the Lamb. God sees you no longer guilty, no longer tied to evil, no longer filled with weakness, no longer entangled and ensnared and sin infested. He sees you white as snow. You've been made righteous by his son. That is what gives us a a sense of security and stability. That's what gives me the strength to carry on, and that is I am no longer the old man, but I am a new man in Christ Jesus. This concept must be received by you because it will help you in your day-to-day living for the king. And that is it's not your behavior. It's knowing, believing that you have been cleansed. And it's from this standpoint that this, this foundation where you have been cleansed, where you have been clean, that you have been wonderfully adorned in a righteous white robe. That it's from this point that your lifestyle will now begin to reflect who you are. Because if, if, if it's the other way around, if you're chasing to be that right behavior, the chances are you're either A, going to become a legalist, which is dangerous beyond belief, or B, you just uh, find failure after failure, and then the enemy confuses you. Next thing you know, you're just in shambles, doubting if you're saved. That shouldn't be the position of the Christian. The position of the Christian is I've been cleansed, amen? I've been washed, amen? Amen. Church, I said amen? Amen Amen means you believe and you're saying yes. If you've been washed white as snow, then we say yes and amen. There's no more confusion. We are acceptable in Christ Jesus because we believe that we've been forgiven. We believe that we've been given the righteousness of God. Like I said, this has done so much for me in stabilizing my Christian walk because knowing as I remember the day-to-day basis, the day-to-day struggles, that I am not that person. I am this person. I kind of came up with this analogy. It's like um, on my desk right now is a picture of me when I graduated eighth grade, just six-inch fro, Thick, gross, junior highs, peach fuzz. But in the graduation, for some reason, I rented a tuxedo. Now that I think about it, it's just dumb, wasted money, whatever. But the tuxedo I rented was white. Just white beyond belief. And you know how you get an attitude when you wear something, a certain garment. When I put on that white tuxedo, there's a different attitude. It's like, what's up? Right? 
You have a different attitude. It's not put on white tuxedo, hey, let's go play mud football. That's not the attitude. The attitude is different. The attitude is, hey, hey, don't touch me. Your hands are dirty. You mess up my white tuxedo. Listen, brothers and sisters. As Paul would encourage the church at Ephesus to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are to put on this breastplate of righteousness, and in doing so, brothers and sisters, from that standpoint, your behavior will now follow the belief, and that is, uh uh-uh, I'm not going there, because I am cleansed, washed, white as snow. Don't taint me with that or this, because I've been cleansed. I don't want to functify this. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. You see how that mindset, that that frame of mind will really help. And Paul is clearly explaining to Timothy that this is the mind frame you're to have. To pursue that belief that you are cleansed, Timothy. You are cleansed, church. And in this, no, no, no. We're never to be a part of playing with the fireplace, so to speak. We're to be in this new position. We've been sanctified, cleansed for his glory. Pursue. Put on that breastplate of righteousness and believe and receive in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Then he goes on to say, pursue godliness. This is an interesting Uh, Definition, it refers to reverence for God flowing out of a worshiping heart. Listen, that righteousness is that, that wonderful foundation, and then we're to pursue this godliness of reverence towards God. A reverence towards God is a firm belief of his attributes and character. If you knew his attributes and character, then you would fear your heavenly father. He's a consuming fire. There's no way around that. He's a consuming fire. What does that mean? That means that God is a God uh, demanding uh, your fear of him. Just as a, a little son, such as my little Judah, though I love and snuggle and will kiss him to death, I am still to be feared by him. Because I'm his dad. Amen? And in the same respect, we are to pursue godliness in a manner of fearing God, knowing and believing who he is, and then from that will outflow a worship of sacrifice, of praise. I love what it says in Hebrews 12, 28. You don't need to turn it out. I'll read it to you. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom from which cannot be shaken, Let us have the grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He is a God not to be played with. He will not be mocked. Though he's just, though he's loving, though he's kind and merciful, he is a consuming fire. Worthy to be feared a reverent fear. 
and we're to be pursuing that place of God. You are amazing. You are an amazing God. I would encourage you this morning. If you have a tendency to play games with God or not have a real good, firm grasp of his attributes, come right down here during worship and kneel before your God and say, God, help me to pursue godliness, to understand you for who you really are. To understand that the kingdom of God has been shared with me, that I'm a participant of the kingdom of God. That's amazing. That's an amazing concept. And so maybe you need to spend a little time down here to really grasp it so that you're pursuing it. Amen? Next, Paul says, uh, as men and women of God, we're to pursue faith. Thursday night, we discussed faith, growing faith, trust in God. Trust in his word. Trust in his promises. But it goes beyond that. It's trust that causes us to commit to his word and to act upon his word. This faith is lacking often in Christians today. They're not willing to stand on the word of God as, well, it's good to read, but you can't believe it all. Please, people. Man has tried to destroy this for thousands of years. You can't destroy what is eternal. Amen? And eternally, it has continually pointed out that God is a just and faithful God. Has he been faithful and just and true? Everything he said, he's done already. Everything that has not happened, believe me, is going to happen. If anything is to be true there is no other being worthy to be put all trust and faith into like the word of god and his wonderful ways and his promises it'll never let you down and we are to pursue this paul is saying we're to pursue this we're to pursue that faith that growing knowledge that growing idea of god is just and true and so i can believe and trust him hebrews 11:6 says without faith it is impossible to please god church we have to be growing in our faith we have to we can't stay, excuse me, we can't stay in this place of stagnant waters. We got to be moving forward and growing in our belief and trust in God. Amen? Because on the flip side of that Hebrews text, and that is through faith, we can please our God. As we talked about on Thursday night, God, the God of the universe, the, in, in, in the form of Jesus Christ, marveled at the centurion's faith. I want Jesus to be marveled after this church as we trust and grow in faith, pursuing that. I like what John MacArthur said concerning this particular text concerning faith. He says, faith is simply confident trust in God for everything, for everything. It involves loyalty to the Lord and unwavering confidence in his power purpose, plan, provision, and promise. Faith is the atmosphere in which the man of God exists. 
He trusts God to keep and fulfill his word. No one other is worthy of such faith. To believe in something else is just ludicrous knowing that this exists. Amen? We're to be pursuing that faith, growing in faith. Paul goes on to say we are to pursue love. We're to pursue love, agape love, love that is active, supernatural. We know that in 1 John it declares that God is love. So in a sense, we are to be pursuing God and his endless well of love. He is love in his nature. He is love. And so by pursuing, by being uh, men and women, uh, be pursuing love is to pursue God. To pursue God. To love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. All that you are. I wish we had the time to spend on just the concept of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Basically, what Jesus was saying there in summarizing all the commandments of the Old Testament was that is to love God with all that you are. Your mind to be renewing it by the washing of the word. Your heart to be constantly hiding the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against him. Your soul understanding that it's been snatched, cleansed, and washed, and prepared for the heavenly host. And to know with this is to be done with all your strength, all that you are, everything. To love him in such a way. To love him in such a way. Because in doing so, guess what? Our neighbors and all around us benefit. When this is going right, this will always be a blessing. It'll be an outflow, so to speak. That's true in, in, the, in the life of a husband as he loves the Lord his God with all our heart, mind, and soul and strength. In that, he'll be able to love his wife supernaturally. Otherwise, you can't love a woman or a man supernaturally unless you are filled with the love of God and Paul is saying be pursuing that don't do that don't give into lust don't give into cheap this or that but buy into what is eternal pursue what is of God and that is to love him with all our heart mind and soul amen doesn't this world need some more love this world needs more love and so tomorrow morning, I, I challenge you. I challenge you to wake up in the morning and say, God, help me to love you more. Because by loving him more, you're going to be able to love your neighbors more. You're going to be able to love your wife more. You're going to be able to love your kids more. If you're willing to pursue the love of the Father. And guess what? If you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, God, help me to love you more. You know what his response is going to be? Well, if you love me, son, then obey my commands. And here's your commands for the day. And guess what? By doing so, by, by obeying those commands, you'll find that there now is a wonderful uh, fruit in your life. There'll be fruit in your life. Not because you're striving to make it happen, but because it's an outflow of your love for the Lord. We love him because he first loved us. And I love this. I love, I love that he commands for us to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. Because we shouldn't love him any other way. Amen? We shouldn't love him any other way. 
So when you wake up tomorrow morning, you say, God, I want to love you more. He's going to say, oh, then keep my commandments. By this, you know that you keep my commandments. You'll know that you know me by keeping my commandments. And guess what? His commandments are burdensome. And if they are, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. We obey his commands again because we're pursuing in faith and trusting and believing that his promises. Trusting and believing that as we trust in the Lord with all our heart and, and, and trusting and leaning not on our own understandings. If we're trusting in him, he's going to lead our path straight. Amen? That's what it means to love the Lord, to pursuing him. Paul goes on to say to pursue patience. Um, this is kind of an interesting translation. You may have the translation that says uh, perseverance, and that's probably uh, better suited in what Paul is de uh, declaring here that we are to pursue perseverance, which describes not in a passive way, but in a very active way. Patience and perseverance in an active military way. Unwavering loyalty, it's described. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, persevere and stay on course. Be pursuing that narrow gate. That narrow path, pursue that with perseverance, Timothy. Brothers and sisters, we need to have that mentality because guess what? When we waver in this, it's contagious. See, I don't know if you understand this, but you have a sphere of influence around you. And you're either going to make people contagious for that path or contagious for something else. We have a sphere of influence around us. And I don't know about you, but I want my influence to be for the kingdom of God. I want it to be for the kingdom of God. And it needs to be modeled. Perseverance, holding the line, staying steady, needs to be modeled in the church. Because remember, the church is constantly being marked with hypocrisy. Why? Because it's true. Christians saying this and, and confessing this, but living this. What this world needs is for Christians to stay on course, to be pursuing with perseverance the course that has been set before us. And guess what? Not only the world needs to see it modeled, but we as believers need to see it modeled. When you stay the course, you may be encouraging someone who's on the verge of veering from the course, but because they see you persevering, it makes them persevere. And so I hope that this morning you're encouraged to, by the Spirit of God, to pursue perseverance for the kingdom of God and his glory. Next, Paul says to pursue gentleness. Gentleness uh, can also be translated as meekness. Meekness, not weakness, not timidness, but gentle and meek in a godly way. And in a godly way, it, meekness is, is like taking a stallion with all its power and all its raw energy and harnessing it. 
we are to pursue that meekness of being willing to submit under the proper authority, giving over the reins to our king of kings and saying, here you go, Lord. All that I am, here's the reins. Submitting, disregarding one's own rights and privileges. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him and how we could be used for his glory. When we get that place, when we're pursuing that place, woo, then we're effective for the kingdom of God. He gets the glory. But we have to be willing to pursue that place of humility and meekness and handing over the reins and saying, God, you know what? I've tried it on my own. I'm just making a mess. Here you go. Here's the reins. That's meekness. That's meekness, and we're to pursue it with all that we are. We're to pursue these things and with such tenacity. And guess what? God is not going to require us to pursue these things if he's not going to give us the strength to do so. We could be encouraged in that, amen? He didn't wash us white as snow so that we could just be all dirtied up. He washed us white as snow so that we can remain, stay on course, pursue godliness, pursue faith in growing in his, in trusting in him, pursue the love of God. Oh, I'm encouraged this morning. I hope you are. We need to hear these things because guess what? What Paul now says to Timothy, flee from those things, pursue these things, and Timothy Put up your dupes. Just fight the good fight of faith. Fight, man. Fight. Fight in such a way that is clearly, I mean, I can describe to you what the word fight means, but I'm hoping already you've grasped that Paul is not saying, okay, in light of all this, guys, let's try to make it happen, okay? No. At this point, Paul takes a very interesting turn, and that is, Timothy, fight the good fights, because I don't know if you know this, brothers and sisters, we are in a battle. We are in a battle. And there's a triple threat. There's the enemy, there's the flesh, and then there's the world. But guess what? There's a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And we tie into this, then we can combat that. We fight the good fight when we do that, brothers and sisters. That's what needs to be done in this world. As we grasp these concepts, they're not abstract. They were ordained by God from heaven above that we would grasp them and now know and believe that this is a fight, not of flesh and blood, but it's a reality. And so we need to put up our dukes. We need to now be stirred within our spirits and say, okay, God, in light of all that you said, I will flee that. I will rend that over to you and pursue these things and fight the good fight of faith. Because ultimately, that's what it means to fight the good fight. It's to pursue these things and flee those things. That's fighting the good fight, brothers and sisters. 
Paul, when he told the churches in Acts, said, through many tribulations must we enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it was going to be laborsome. We must be willing to labor. But, oh, man, how discouraging it is that saints would hide skirts, Look for the comfort and the easy way out, going AWOL, so to speak. Don't be that. Don't be the soldier who says, no, we're not in a battle. Don't do that, because guess what? Whether you believe there's a battle or not, the battle remains. So either you're going to stand and fight from victory, or you stand and fight from defeats. I don't know about you, but I want to stand in the victory that's been given to me. That's where I want to fight. I want to fight for these things, knowing that in doing so, the world is effective for his glory and his kingdom. Otherwise, if we are just here to be these little robots, then it's not worth fighting for. But that's not the case. The case is that there's people perishing that there is an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Brothers and sisters, you have to know that there is a reality that the kingdom of darkness does not relent when you say there's no battle. Oh, I will leave that person alone. He's in the neutral zone. Listen, just standing in this pulpit has done my family a disservice because the enemy all night Every kid I own was up crying. Why? It happens every time. But you know what? I choose to fight still. Because ultimately I know God has got them in his hands. God is in control. But nonetheless, I choose to put my dukes up and fight the good fight. Brothers and sisters, I hope you do the same. I love what Paul continues to say as he says, fight the good fight. Listen, fight the good fight and lay hold on eternal life. Is Paul trying to get Timothy saved here? No. When he says lay hold of eternal life, Paul is saying, Timothy, rid your hands of the things of this world and lay hold of the kingdom of God. Have the kingdom perspective, the kingdom mentality. Paul, pursue these things for the kingdom of God is at hand. We serve the king of kings. Let's do so justly and rightfully as we submit our lives to him. Let's fight the good fight of faith and grab a hold of that eternal perspective. You, brothers and sisters, as a believer, are a citizen of what? The heavenlies. So let's live for the heavenlies, amen? I hate that saying that says, oh, that person's so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. That's so far from the truth. Because when you truly are heavenly minded, then you are the only good in this earth. Because there is no other good in this earth. It's all corrupt unless it's been ordained and touched by God. And listen, 
you bring good to this earth when you are completely and utterly heavenly minded. Then you bring to the table a wealth of love, a wealth of mercy. You become what you were created to be. And that is an ambassador for Christ. That is a soldier for the kingdom of God. That is a child, a prince, a princess, a co-heir with Christ. When you're pursuing these things, you are being all that God calls you to be. And that is a great thing. I close with this. Paul after declaring these things to Timothy, saying, Timothy, flee these things. Take no part in this, but pursue these things and fight the good fight. Paul now wonderfully is going to encourage and motivate you and I as well as he did with Timothy. And that is, there is no greater motivational factor than addressing the character of God. Listen, matter of fact, I want you to close your eyes right now. Listen to what Paul says now. Verse 13, I urge you now in the sight of God who gives life to all things. And before Christ Jesus, whom witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandments without spots, blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes, which he will manifest his own time. For he and he alone is the blessed and one and only potent King of kings and Lord of lords, whom has immortality dwelling in the unapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen, nor can no man ever see. To him be honor and to be the glory and the everlasting power. Amen. Amen. Father, this morning in light of your character, in light of who you are, we say yes and amen to the list of dangers set before us. And we confess, Lord, as your children, we often desire to play in these things. And yet today, Lord, we draw a line in the sand and say no more. We want to pursue the things of God. We want to pursue righteousness, faith, love, gentleness, kindness, meekness. Lord, we need you to come and lead us in this, that we might glorify your heavenly name. Help us to live for the heavenlies, Jesus. Fall, Holy Spirit, on this place. That by coming to this place, ultimately, Lord, your will will be done. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love the work that you want to do. We ask that you would help us to pursue fights, and lay down our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, saints, don't miss this opportunity we've been given this morning. Maybe already you have been addressed concerning coming here and, and getting on your knees and seeking the true character of God. But maybe for um, others, myself included, 
Maybe there's areas that we need to confess and repent of dabbling in the things of the world, materialistic stuff. If that's the case, friends, well then let's flee them. Amen? Because part of fleeing is ridding yourself of that. And that is what that concept of repentance is being in this place and just making an about face and heading this direction. And so we're going to progress in our time of repentance. Then we're going to get into a time of just pursuing the face of God, pursuing righteousness in our time of worship. And then we're going to end with just fighting that, that call of, okay, it's on. It's on. Let's go. Let's leave this place headed in the right direction. Amen. Let's do some work, church.